This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And this episode is sponsored by 2-6 Digital, a full-service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to the destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Madsen, and the 2-6 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies through specialized solutions to elevate the overall understanding, strategic direction, and tactical implementation of impactful campaigns. You can find them at 2-6-Digital. That's all letters, no numbers, 2-6-Digital.com. And now on to our show. Our guest today is our friend Monica Smith, the CEO of the Southeast Tourism Society. Monica has over 26 years of experience in the hospitality and tourism industry. Prior to agreeing to lead STS, she served on the board of directors while she was the vice president of sales and services for Florida's Visit Jacksonville, the city's tourism sales and marketing organization, and also while she was president and CEO of the Macon Bibb County Convention and Visitors Bureau for six years. Her other destination sales and marketing experience includes posts with the Pasadena CVB, the Newport Beach CVB, and Destination Cleveland. Monica is a graduate of Cornell University School of Hotel Administration and has been actively involved in the university's CAAAN Alumni Admission Outreach Program. She has a passion for developing the next generation of tourism leaders and educating communities on the importance of tourism as an economic and community development strategy. Monica Smith, welcome to DMOU. Thank you for having me, Bill. Glad to join you. Absolutely. So I had forgotten the first part of your bio. You move around a lot. I mean, you know, first a Midwest girl in the rock and roll capital of America, and then a California girl, and now America's Southeast. What drew you to the Southeast? And uh, I mean, it's been like 10 years now. So what took you that direction? I really was coming back home. I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida, and that's where most of my family lives. Very cool. Well, you know, STS, I, I think, is known around the country for great professional development conferences, your really innovative marketing college each summer, and your aggressive federal legislative program. And, and on this edition of DMOU, that's really the direction I want to go. You guys kill it when it comes to professional development and you know, we love when we have the opportunity to hang with you guys in that. But I want to focus on the advocacy part of what you do, because it's so hard, I think, for so many of us to understand. I mean, most of us get into this business because we love sales and marketing and we love our communities. And yet, especially at the CEO level, it really comes down to you know, we don't get to do much sales and marketing because we're always out there politicking. So some of us are natural advocates. You know, we thrive in city council chambers, state houses, Capitol Hill. But a lot of us shiver at the thought of having to deal with this. So how do you advise your members on getting past their fear of meeting electeds and testifying in public? Well, when I first realized that I was going to spend a good amount of my role as a CEO with advocacy efforts, I had a board member that, that really suggested that I take the time to at least try to schedule meetings with every city council person and every county commissioner. And that was during my time in Macon. And she just gave me some advice to kind of research them. And so that is that helped me to get more comfortable in knowing who they were to plan my approach and find some commonalities. And so I, I really would encourage folks to spend the time, 
researching the elected officials that they need to interact with at all levels. I had a little binder that, that had their bios and what their professional experience, what committees or boards they served on. So I could try to identify where I could start the conversation to establish a report based on some commonalities that we had. Um, and then I always wanted to know about the issues that they supported by either researching the minutes from the meetings or their websites or, or subscribing to their newsletters to just kind of help me to understand them more. And I look at it really kind of similar to the sales process where you've got to figure out how to interact and engage with that meeting planner and have a consistent strategies to be in communication with them through the process. So what I really felt is that the background research makes it easier to see where to start the conversations. And then, you know, as we talk about advocacy efforts, we, we recommend to our members and our partners that you really kind of get to two or three talking points that you want to go over regarding advocacy issues, but you really spend time making the personal connection because that should not be the first and last time that you engage with the elected official. Mm -hmm. I believe that policy briefings ahead of Tourism Day at the Capitol or the the policy briefings that we hold um, as a part of our Congressional Summit on Travel and Tourism, that people participate in them, have a chance to get some um, exposure and better understanding of the issues that they are are going to be communicating about and then partnering, potentially partnering up with other people to make those appointments. And so I found that when I had an opportunity to tag team both on the state level for advocacy efforts and in Washington, D.C., that I felt way more comfortable and felt way more successful if I went with another person and whether that be a staff person or a lobbyist or a board member so that between the two of you, one of you could really make a connection and you can kind of script how you're going to approach your appointments and tag team off of each other. Those are three really good ways uh, to get started with the appointments. But in addition to that, I believe if people get comfortable at the local level, it makes it easier to do the advocacy at the state and national level. It's really all the same process. Mm -hmm. I believe in inviting our elected officials from destinations um, that represent us at the city, county, state, and and national level to the industry events that are in the communities and provide them with updates on the work of the DMOs and share with them invitations to your annual meetings or FAMs or other awards programs that you might do to promote tourism and the economic impact of tourism in the community. It's important that DMO leaders reach out at least annually to try to schedule appointments with the elected officials. And sometimes it's better to do that, especially if there are Congress people, to do that when they are back at home or schedule those meetings with their staff in their regional offices so that you have another person that you have rapport with that can give you some insight to the electeds so that you can develop your strategies from there. I think that's brilliant because we all want to talk to the senator and we all want to say, you know, I, I, I spent 15 minutes with the senator on this issue. And, you know, but in reality, who spends all their time with the senator? Staff. And so one of the successes, and I mean, it was a minor success. We were trying to change beer garden laws here so that our, our downtown festival could serve beer without, you know, double fencing. I right. mean, it's, it was a minor, minor issue. But I knew that the staff of you know, the president of the Senate 
was going to spend more time with him than I was. And so I worked the staff and they worked Fred. And ultimately, he was a leader in getting this really minor bill passed. It was so minor that he wouldn't have cared. I mean, if I would have spent 15 minutes with him explaining the problem, he would, yeah, 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 whatever, because it was a little thing. But his staff liked that event and didn't want that event to go away. And so they pushed him and said, get your name on this bill, man. Let's go. Let's go. And he did. And we got it passed. Understanding the role of the staff, I think, is very important in being successful in advocacy. And I think we have to be conscientious of the staff when we're trying to schedule the appointments and understanding what legislative aides are handling which issues at the federal level so that we can get them the resources and uh, research that they need to review in order to to make the case when we're not there um, with the electeds. And so um, being considerate of the staff while we're in the appointments and taking the time to acknowledge them and develop relationships and rapport with them is critical to being successful and getting future appointments and and being considered a resource for tourism-related issues. You know, I love your thought about bringing another person along and tag-teaming. I think that's, that's, a, that's a really cool concept because for a lot of us, there's a bias, I think, in the mind of the elected that, you know, this is our job. We, we get paid to do this. But if we can bring somebody else along that maybe doesn't get paid to do this, maybe it, it is that, that moment. One of the two of us hopefully connect. And it doesn't need to be us. You know, honestly, it probably is better if it is them, because that's a connection that, that that elected can feel, can understand. And Bill, it really depends. Last year, I did two fly-ins in D.C., one with U.S. Travel, Destination Capitol Hill, and then also with the National Parks Conservation Association. And I was the person because they're in D.C., so they wanted the the folks in the states, in the communities, in the regions speaking on behalf of some of the national issues. So sometimes we're the person bringing another person along, and other times we're going to be the person that they want, another entity may want to speak on behalf of the industry and the issue. Yeah. Interesting that you make the point that that we are more connected than we are divisive. And we can all, you know, look at the current situation in our country and, you know, we've probably never as a people been more divided about things. I just finished a really interesting and really dense book. You really have to want to finish this book. (laughs) I mean, it's totally academic, right? It's really deep, but it's called The Righteous Mind by a guy named Jonathan Haidt. And in this book, deep psychology and philosophy and all this stuff, all this research is showing that actually we as a people are 90% connected. We agree on 90% of all the issues. It's the 10% that is moving us to one side or the other. And that's where you're saying is focus on that 90%. And I mean, with advocacy, we've got to understand that we may not win the first time <laughs> we make the ask or recommendation. Yeah. And we may not win everything that we ask for. But when you can get clarity and find the opportunities to support the issue and agree on the same issue, then you, you move forward with that and make that the basis of additional asks that you make in the future. Yeah. And as our dear friend, the late Phil Craig said, you got to be there before you got to be there. 
right? So you're right. It, it, this is this is not a one and done. This is a process. So when we're sitting down in an elected official's office, what do you suggest we do, uh, both in delivering our message? And earlier you said this is about listening as well. So what do we do as far as delivering message and hearing their concerns and questions? I would say before even getting to the appointment, develop the two to three talking points or what I call the advocacy ask in advance. So know what you're asking for, because you may only have 10 minutes. You'll need to get your ask out in those 10 minutes, depending on their schedules and availability. I also suggest that folks prepare packets of information to leave behind for the staff, because the staff is going to do the research and do the deep dive. And so having information to leave with them, including the advocacy ask or the call to action is important so that they know who you are, what you're specifically asking, have the research that you have on the industry, you know, from the industry on the issue uh, so that they can look at it and call you back or email you if they have any additional questions. And that kind of goes back to knowing that and understanding and not being offended if when you arrive, you're not able to meet with the elected, but you meet with their staff. And it's important to know who is the staff person assigned to the issue so that you can follow it with them and get an update. So that's kind of all of the pre-planning work. And then when you have the opportunity to speak with them, you tell them who you are, why you came, and give them an opportunity to express their thoughts or concerns or ask any questions of you first. What we found is if you have an opportunity to thank them for supporting something they've already done, supporting an issue or legislation that helps your community or the industry, Start with the thank you before you ask, because then they'll, they'll know, hey, this person is, knows that I'm supporting them and is on their side. And before they ask me for something else, they're going to thank me for the work I've already done on their behalf. And so when they have a chance to express their thoughts or concerns or ask any questions of those of us that are in the meeting, that's where you start the listening. Acknowledge those comments. And then if they tie to the personal appeal that you're going to make, express that I agree with your issue and I you and I are in agreement. And that's why we believe that this issue is so important because it helped these people in our community or helped this business or generated this type of income for our economy or whatever it might be. I think it's important for people to just be their authentic self because you're going to be building a relationship with them over time. I also believe that we're a resource as tourism leaders. We are a resource for our elected officials, and we need to ask them to use us as a resource for specific tourism-related issues. And that could be via email or us giving them a call, or I've got an elected official that sends survey questions, and she just wants to hear from her constituents with a yes or no question. And I usually try to respond because that's a quick way to give her my feedback. And then I would ask for a photo. Don't leave without a photo if you can get one. Their staff will typically take photos because they want to use that in their newsletters or social media efforts to show that they're meeting with the constituents and, and leaders that they represent. And I always try to follow up with a thank you note afterwards to them and their legislative aides, uh, just as a reminder of the issues that we're asking about. We've got to start the process with them making them aware who we are, how we can help them, what we support that they are doing that helps us in advance of really needing some major legislation to support or protect our industry. You know, that whole photo thing, that is really smart. 
I've never thought of it that way, but you're so right. It works on both sides. It works for them if they choose to use it because it shows they're being receptive and they're, they care and they're meeting with, with key constituents. Right. But it works on our side too because it shows our partners that we're in there, you know, we're on the case, we're working hard on their behalf. And it's such a subtle little thing that I, uh, I never really considered that a photo would be that thing. And, and I, I got to agree with you with the, the thank yous. You know, even when you lose, I think a thank you card is, hey, thanks for listening. We didn't get where we wanted to go this time, but I look forward to visiting with you again next session or whenever that's going to be. And, and I think that that thank you card can be, even when you lose, such a powerful reminder that we're not going away. Right. Here's what I've learned, Bill. Most elected officials want to meet with their constituents. Now, they might be in a committee meeting or have to be present for a vote, but most of them are happy to see the leaders from their communities, the communities that they're representing. I've gotten that sense at the state level and was pleasantly surprised last year when making those, doing those two fly-ins. And that was, those were before our congressional summit on travel and tourism. I was pleasantly surprised to see that our Congress people were willing and excited to meet with us and happy to see folks from Georgia. <laughs> so, you know, just knowing that I hope will alleviate some folks concern about um, having those meetings, getting involved in advocacy efforts. And we've also got a resource that I'm, I'm happy to share with any of your listeners. We've got an advocacy amplified um, guide for tourism advocacy that we've shared with our members and and we'd be happy to share with other folks um, in the industry. And it's also on our website if people wanted to see that. So those are just, just some practical tips that help you overcome the nervousness and anxiousness that some folks might feel when they're preparing to have those face-to-face -face conversations. You know, and that nervousness, we always advise our clients, it's like, if you know your stuff, there's nothing to be nervous about, right? If you know your stats, if you know all this stuff, there's nothing to be nervous about because you got this because you're talking about your passion. You're talking about your life. It's when we go into a situation and we don't have all the right. data and the details and the research, and we think we're going to you know, screw up. That's when I think we get nervous. But if you know your stuff, there's nothing to be nervous about. These are just people. Even when we don't know it, it's okay to say, can I do some research and get back with you on that information? Yeah. And who on your team should I send it to? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, every year after the our congressional summit, we ask our members go out as delegations from each of the states. And we ask each state summit chair to send us a report back. And part of the report is, were you asked for information that you didn't have that we need to follow up on? And sometimes the answer is yes, and here what is what it was. And then we know we need to react and help them to get the resources to that elected official that's requested it. And so it's okay not to know. It's better to say, can I follow up with you or your team and provide it as opposed to give them the wrong information. The worst thing you can do is try and make up an answer, right? Right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Just just say, hey, I don't know. I'll, I'll get back to you. And that gives you time to reflect and to think. And so absolutely. So question number three, and you actually kind of, touched on this in question number one, but I want to go a little deeper in it because I've always advised my clients that 
they should meet with state and federal elected officials in their home office at home. It's easier. It's less expensive. It's, it's less intimidating. You're in your own space, right? And you said that you agree with that. But at the same time, you lead a federal group to D.C. every year. Tell us what the advantage is to meet with them on their turf rather than your turf. I do believe that both are important and federal issues often can trickle down to the local level. So I think having the meetings at each level are state, federal and local are important. And we've got to get comfortable with doing them all. But during my visits last year in particular, since I was in D.C. three times on advocacy issues last year, what I saw is that hundreds if not thousands of association and trade groups are at the Capitol throughout the year requesting things of our Congress people and, and U.S. representatives. Some of them may negatively impact our community or industry. So if we, as the tourism industry, are not there speaking up for our own industry or our own communities, who's going to do it on our behalf? Mm-hmm. And They have relationships with lobbyists, but I've come to understand it's really important to most congressional leaders that they hear from small business owners or local leaders on the impact of their work and on the potential benefits or um, negatives to the legislation that they're going to be considering and voting on. And so they want to hear our personal stories as being leaders in a specific community whether it be urban or rural or suburban or what have you. And they want to meet their constituents. They were very welcoming and hospitable during those visits that I made last year. And so we can't ignore advocacy at the federal level. We need to be connected and and understand how to build those coalitions and relationships in D.C. that can help us at the local level. Now, it was interesting that today I read an article and I can't remember what source it was from, but there was mention about, you know, because of the lack of collaboration in Washington, D.C., that many associations are now really beginning to shift back to state and local advocacy efforts as well. So that just reminded me that we really need to continue our work in helping our members to be prepared to advocate at every level. As I asked the question about, you know, is it better to meet with them locally or meet with them in D.C., it it kind of answered its own question for me. Do you believe that legislators at the federal level, when they see us come by their local office, I mean, that's pretty easy. You know, it's, you know, jump in the car, 15 minutes, boom, you know, talk to them. But if we make the effort to go to them when they're in D.C., does that signal to them uh, a higher importance level of of what we're doing. I mean, that, that's going to be two or three days out of our life. It's going to be hundreds of dollars in airfare. Does that show them the level of passion that we have? I think it does, because they're meeting with everybody from the PTA to the <laughs> Salvation Army to the cattlemen to the pharmacists. So we're not there <laughs> as a tourism industry who else is going to represent us? And we, we've got to support our partnerships, whether it be U.S. travel, you know, our, our industry partners or, or STS that are advocating for tourism. Mm-hmm. Interesting. 
All right. Well, it's time to to roll into our bonus round. And thank you so much for taking time to to share your thoughts on on advocacy, because clearly, as I said at the top, I, this is not what we all signed up for, most of us in destination marketing, but it definitely is what gets us through the day. So the bonus round question for you is you are, I hear, an avid reader. It's one of your top hobbies. So Tell us about your favorite books to tell us about the authors that you're reading yes. and let's do it in two steps. Who do you read to learn from and who do you read for pleasure? Well, to learn from, um, I do really do not enjoy reading nonfiction books. I read them, <laughs> especially if they're related to <laughs> my work or getting better as a professional or a manager or what have you. But I, my professional learning usually in terms of reading, usually comes from industry publications and newsletters and e-newsletters. Um, yeah. And I'm one of those people that I'll pull the article out of the magazine or I'll print it and, and I'll compile them in a folder and take them with me when I'm sitting at my daughter's basketball practice or traveling or what have you. You do that too? Yes, I do. Unbelievable. <laughs> Every flight attendant in America hates me because I take all of my magazines on flights and I shred them and I take the pieces <laughs> out and I, I I'm gonna take these three pages and the rest of it's just gonna end up in the in the in the back of the seat. Well I do all of that before I leave the office. <laughs> I have to take the magazines on the flight with me. Right. <laughs> so most of the time I, I'll compile those. I really like reading the industry trend reports or forecast reports on leadership or association management or whatever. But one of my favorite folks to, I, I love reading his articles, are, is Ernie Smith for, with um, Associations Now. So he does an article, I think, on a weekly basis uh -huh. that and I usually, if I don't read anybody else, I probably will read his, his articles because I find them interesting. And then on For Pleasure, I'm a serial reader. So if I find an author that I really like or they're doing a series of books, I tend to read them all or as many as I can get my hands on. So one of my favorites is Brenda Jackson and she's a, a romance writer from Jacksonville. I started reading her before I moved back to the way many, many years ago. And my husband hooked me on to uh, Lee Child with the Jack Reacher books. Oh yeah, like those. absolutely. <laughs> and then there are two writers that uh, write Christian suspense novels, which I love, which are Dee Henderson and Terry Blackstock. So those are four of my favorites. If their books come out, I usually try to check them out from the library because I read too many books to buy them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm also a Lee Child, Jack Reacher fan. And if you're, if you're deep into Jack Reacher, I mean, what did you think when they cast Tom Cruise as Jack Reacher? Because that's not that's not that's not I, Jack Reacher. Reacher's like six five, two hundred and fifty pounds. I know. I understand why they did it, but it didn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> there were some other Hollywood actors I think would have done a great job in that role, which would have been more realistic for us fans. <laughs> you know, physically, absolutely, but attitudinally. I mean, when he says that phone's going to ring, I mean, he has, yeah. he has Jack's he personality, <laughs> right? but he just doesn't have Jack's size. <laughs> Too funny. I still fascinated about the, just having one outfit in a toothbrush like that. 
<laughs> I can't get over that part either. I, I wish it was that easy. I, I would just go to each town that I'm consulting in and just buy a, a, a couple of pairs of pants and a couple of shirts and I'm good. Right. That's what I should do. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Monica, thank you so much for spending time with us and for all you do for our industry. The STS presence on Capitol Hill and the professional development programming you do with your biennial conference and marketing college are a model, honestly, for uh, for any national or or regional tourism association. And so thank you for all you do. That's it for this edition of the Resurrected DMOU. Tell your friends and peers that this is where the best and the brightest get together to tell inspiring stories for DMO pros. And thanks too for our sponsor, 2.6 Digital, a full service agency that offers integrated marketing solutions exclusively to destination marketing organizations and members of the travel, tourism, and hospitality industries. Dave Serino, Brian Matson, and the 2.6 team assist DMOs with developing measurable and successful digital marketing strategies. You can find them at 26digital, no numbers, all letters, 26digital.com. DMOPros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank, videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.